can always stop it though. Yeah. Hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. My guest today has a brand new book on. It is called Body on Fire, the anti in the anti-inflammatory is it anti-inflammatory and i can't speak sure, anti-inflammatory anti cookbook it talks about the power of foods to restore your health and it's written by dr monica agarwal and dr jothi rao they've both been on the show before with the book from which this was inspired which is called body on fire which is also a must read and i'll put the link below in the chat in the show notes and she's actually going to prepare a recipe from the book today she's going to make a vegan caesar salad please welcome her to the show it's nice to see you again. Nice to see you too. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. It's, was it fun to write a cookbook? You know, um, it took a lot out of me because I am not naturally, like I cook based on my, I'm an Indian. I grew up in an Indian household and I, my mom says you cook with andaza and daza means like estimation. Like you're like, Oh, a little of this, a little of that. Then you taste it, then you adjust it. And so it was hard. So, you know, we, we had a recipe creator that helped us because I was, I struggled for sure with, you know, getting, I said, I want to make this recipe, but me putting the bread, like, well, how much do you put of this? How much? So that it was, it was definitely a challenge and one that grew me a lot. Um, but I've learned so much. And the best part to me of the cookbook is actually the beginning of the book, because we really talk the advice or recommendations after people had read the original book, Body on Fire, was they had said to me, you know, I love the book. It's really good. It's taught me so much, but how do I actually start? Which was interesting feedback. And so what we did in the cookbook is the beginning we, we went through and said, okay, this is what we want you to do on day one. This is what's for breakfast. This is what's for lunch. This is what's for dinner. And we really tried to give people a very clear breakfast, lunch, dinner option. So they knew how to start. Um, and so, and then we tried to make lists and sort of make it simple for people in, like myself who would want to say, okay, well, I have a problem with my calcium levels, or I've been told I really need to boost up my iron. Well, these are the foods that I should be adding for more iron, or these are the foods that are more anti-inflammatory because I have autoimmune disease or this is because I have a high cholesterol. I really need to focus on eating less fats or saturated fats. This is what I would focus on. So we tried to do it, um, tried to make it sort of as user-friendly as we could. And the recipes are also really simple. And I, I'm just not, I really think that simple cooking is the best in, in the sense that um, I have three kids. I'm always running around working a lot and I want to eat wholesome, healthy foods, but I want them to be easy. I don't want 50, 50, ingredients and things I have to go to a random grocery store that it's really hard to find. We tried to make things mainstream and things that we would normally get at a regular grocery store. Yeah. I don't blame you. Well, um, the recipes look amazing. This is the one I want to try. Yeah. I love that. That's a, so that's really a fabulous recipe is the stir fried udon noodles. I chose to do um, for the, when we make the recipe, I chose to do a dressing because I wanted to just remind people that, you know, for lunch every day, I think that everybody should be eating a massive salad. You know, that's the thing I recommend in general is uh, I will see people call it the agarwal salad. It should be bigger than your head and it should be a full of dark green leafy vegetables. And so to remind people at lunchtime, we want to be eating that big green salad. And sometimes it's just as easy as adding a really neat dressing to make that um, that green salad a little different and interesting for that day or for that week. Um, and so sometimes that's really fun. Who's your friend? Oh, you saw that's that's Hamilton. So um, I have two rescue pups. One is Isabel, and we call her Izzy, and one is Hamilton, uh, who we call Hammy, which is funny because none of us in our house eat meat. 
Um, and so um, Hammy is also a rescue. And we had a lot of debate. We'd all loved the Hamilton play. Um, and so there was a lot of discussion on some people wanted to name him Hercules Mulligan. And some people wanted to name him Burr. But we had a big discussion about how my 11-year-old wanted to name him Burr because you know, she liked the name. And I was like, oh, no, 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 we can't name him Burr because Burr was on the wrong side. <laughs> that so, is so adorable. Thank you for rescuing your your pets. You know, if you want also, I, you know, I, I'm in the process of moving. So my books are packed, but I have your first book, which is great. And maybe talk a little bit about the premise of the first book, how you came to be so you know, interested in, in food as medicine. Oh, thank you. So, um, you know, so medicine, um, I've been a physician and a cardiologist now for about 12 to 15 years now. I, I sort of forget the number every time. So somewhere in that range. And um, over that course, you know, I'm Indian. So I, I grew up always with an interest in food. Um, you know, I grew up with my mom saying, eat more turmeric, eat more turmeric. So that's always sort of been part of my life. But, um, you know, and I, you know, I spent time doing integrative work and Ayurvedic work when I was in college and in medical school. And a, a random fact is I was a religion major in college. So it's sort of always been interested in sort of maybe Eastern religions. I focused on Buddhism, just Eastern cultures have been an interest. Um, but it was only when I got sick, uh, after I had my third child, I developed a debilitating form of rheumatoid arthritis. Um, so I went from being this active runner and very active physician to being completely immobile. Um, it's a hard part of my life. So it, you know, where I, you know, I could describe how I used to crawl up the stairs because I just couldn't get up the steps. Um, and, uh, just sort of dark time in my life. Um, and it was at that point when I was told that I had an incurable illness that I need to get just used to taking medications that, um, that it doesn't matter that, you know, you know, that you just have to accept it. Um, those kind of comments from my doctors that you just have to accept that you have an illness that you won't get off medications. It's when you are humbled to that point, and you, when you ask for options of well, what about other options and people don't have any for you and the doctors say, well, there are no other options. This is that you start, it, it breaks you, it changes you, it makes you think, especially a person like me who couldn't accept that I had an illness that I couldn't fix. Um, so it sent me down this path of trying to learn about nutrition and lifestyle by happenstance. I met a woman who actually came to me and said, like, she was like my God's gift because she came to me and she said, you know, let me talk to you about nutrition. I'd like to talk to you and talk to your patients about nutrition. And I said, well, you know, I do a pretty good job of that. You know, probably was more obnoxious than I should have been. And um, she said, you know what, um, why don't you just let me do your profile? And I thought, I'm really healthy. I know what I'm doing. How funny and how ironic and how pretentious I was because I was a physician with an illness and who thought I was so healthy. And she was the first person who made me start thinking about nutrition and its impact on how I, how on your body. And it sent me down this education pathway where I started learning about not only nutrition, which was a huge part of it, but also just your lifestyle about stress and about inflammation and about the impact of sleep and lack of sleep, the impact of stress and how to calm your mind with mind body techniques and about, of course, and about nutrition, which is a huge part of that, um, and so we, um, I spent years sort of learning that and then um, what decided that I was tired of being the guy or gal who gave out all the statin medications or telling people that it was okay to just give out a statin or to prescribe, recommend somebody needed a stent for their heart disease or bypass surgery. And I wanted to sort of be more empowered. So I started changing my practice 
practiced uh, medicine to focus more on how to heal the illness before people got sick, or if they did get sick, how to then prevent them from getting worse. Um, and it changed everything. So we wrote the book Body on Fire. Um, we call it Body on Fire because it's about inflammation. So body on fire is your body's mad at you. You're, and inflammation is arguably the center of all illness. And if you treat inflammation, you treat yourself and combat your risks for all illnesses. Um, and so we called it that. But we wrote that book really to honor my daughter um, because my daughter, my third child, who's now 11, um, at the time I blamed her, uh, embarrassingly so. I blamed her and my pregnancy for being the reason I got sick. Um, and it's to honor her to, because she's the one, if it, if it wasn't for... Um, my life at that time and that process and going through the sickness that I would have learned if I ha it wasn't for her, I wouldn't have healed. I wouldn't have learned how to heal, how to get better. And it really changed my entire life. So wow. body on fire is an honor to her and a tribute to her. And, um, it talks all about the lifestyle tools to heal your body. And I encourage everybody to read it. Not don't have to buy it. You can get it from the library. I don't care. Just read it and try to learn about because there's so much you can do to heal your body and there's so much you can do uh there's so much data out there that doctors don't talk about and you can empower yourself um and have control and i think that's the thing that we hate the most as humans is the lack of control i certainly as somebody who got sick i i, I think that was the thing i hated the most is feeling that small person in the wheelchair um and just feeling like i had no control and i think that those tools that we provide are to give people that control back. And it's not always perfect. Not everybody's going to cure their illness, um, but sure, they're sure going to get better. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you got some really wonderful people endorsing this book, Dr. Caldwell B. Esselstyn Jr., Dr. Dean Ornish. So that's yeah. pretty amazing. How long did it take for you? Would you say that your disease is reversed? Is it managed? What is the best terminology to use? Yeah, it's a good question. I've, I've reflected on this question uh, a lot because um, rheumatoid arthritis is an incurable illness by all um, disease, disease experts. Um, if you look at my markers, my inflammatory markers are flat, um, but um, for 10 years, so the part of the story that not everybody knows is, is that, so for 10 years now, I guess, or nine and a half years, I have been off of all medications. I take no medications for rheumatoid arthritis and I've had no symptoms. Uh, interestingly, after I got COVID uh, last year and the vaccine, I did develop a flare, which I have not had in 10 years. And I think it was related to either COVID or COVID plus vaccine. Um, not because the vaccine is bad. I encourage and promote the vaccine. Um, but vaccine COVID itself is immunogenic, meaning it can trigger inflammation. And so I think that's what triggered the illness. And it was a reminder to me that I probably will always have rheumatoid arthritis. Uh, it's not something that I'll probably ever be cured of. Uh, and if you look at my genetic markers, my rheumatoid factor and my anti-CCP antibody, they are still elevated, but my inflammatory markers are not elevated and, my, and I am completely symptom-free again. And so I think that sometimes we're looking for perfection and we don't want to let uh, perfection be the enemy of good enough. And I'm really good enough and I feel great. And I, you know, go for runs and I feel great. I don't take medications and I'm the best that I, I want to be. And I, 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 you know, I think we all have room for improvement. I'd like to exercise a little more, maybe sleep a little bit more, uh, meditate a little bit more, but you know, I, I'm in a good space and I'm proud of that. 
That's fantastic. Does your entire family eat this way? Your husband, your three children? Yeah. So it's interesting. So um, when I went plant-based, I'm the cook and moms are often the cook. And I also do all the grocery shopping. So uh, my house, my husband grew up eating, um, uh, you know, they would cut, kill cow and they would bring home the, they had something called um, cow day or I can't remember, beef day, beef day. And they, that's how he grew up eating those kind of foods. And um, when I went plant-based, he just kind of watched and I'm not the type of person to say, this is how it's going to be, not with my kids, not with anyone. Um, and they just watched me and what ended up happening, which has been so interesting is that he slowly and slowly also became plant-based. He for a while, he still eats a little bit of fish I've noticed, but I say nothing. Um, but in general, he's almost hundred percent plant-based. And what's been neat about my kids is that I raised them completely plant-based from birth, um, and, um, no milk, uh, no cow's milk, but you know, when they go out, I would tell them we can eat whatever you want. And it's, I will say nothing. And they knew that. And so sometimes they would eat things like chicken tenders or ice cream, and I would say nothing. And what's interesting and what's happened and it's evolved on their own. And it's been so beautiful because at home we eat plant-based and we eat what we eat. And when they'd go out, they would just say like, this is what everybody else eats. This is what they want to eat. And as they've gotten a little bit older, they all identify themselves as vegan and they all say uh, that they tell, and they tell, I hear them tell their friends, well, I don't, I choose not to eat animals or I don't, uh, I don't want to eat those kind of foods. And they walk into school. My seventh grader walks in with spinach and the principal stopped her the other day and was like, you're eating raw spinach. And she's like, yes, it's really good. You should try it. I was like, you go girl. <laughs> so they all identify as plant-based, which is really cool. That is hilarious. You know, when you think about diseases, many of them end in the word ITIS, the four letters. So isn't inflammation almost always the root cause of, I mean, I'm not talking somebody falls down and breaks a leg, but for any, especially any chronic disease. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's a, it's, it's so obvious the way you said it, right. But it's something that we haven't fully understood until now, really, that inflammation is the source and cause of all illnesses. So it begets itself, right? So if you have an illness that triggers inflammation, and if you have inflammation that triggers the illness, and so the key to healing your body is to then treat not the inflammation, because if you treat the inflammation, then maybe you won't activate the gene that you already have. Like you can't change your parents, you can't change your genetics, but you can change the milieu, the epigenetics, the things that are around the gene um, so that maybe it won't express itself or it won't express itself as much. Um, and those are the things we can change. And we can change that by really just calming that inflammation. Uh, that is really the key to all illnesses, as you point out, uh, heart disease, autoimmune disease, inflammatory bowel disease, asthma, uh, all of these things. So when my, my son, when he was uh, eight or nine years old, he started developing a little bit of allergies. Um, we live in Florida and he started developing allergies. So I, I, I compensated by adding loads of sauerkraut and things to nourish his gut biome um, to kind of heal his gut flora. So, and that really helped his uh, allergies. So there's so much you can do with your lifestyle, what you eat um, to heal your body and just calm the inflammation. Is there a hierarchy of inflammatory foods, like maybe animal products being the worst and processed food? I'm just making this up what I think it might be. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you're always right on. Come on. So, um, so the reality is, is that um, 
the top two would be in my mind would be um, processed foods, uh, refined foods and um, red meat. Uh, I think to, are, are probably the top most potent inflammatory foods. And then sort of a soon right after is dairy. Uh, I think dairy is very potently inflammatory. Um, and so those for me are sort of on the top of the no-go list. People say, well, what about poultry? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a fan of poultry. It is on the list, but it's probably not the very top. Uh, and then poultry, and then it would come down further down on the list, but certainly on the list as well. And one thing I'd like, I'd like everybody to avoid poultry too, absolutely. But for me, the top worst items are um, red meat, uh, processed and refined foods and, um, and then right soon after is dairy. And interestingly enough, most Americans eat more than 90% of their calories from both of those food groups. It is incredible. It's, there's so much, so much we have to do. Um, you know, one of the things that I, I really make a point to do in my practice of medicine and as I teach and educate and do these talks is I really try to tell, tell people not to focus so much on uh, veganism or being whole food plant-based as much as to focus on just eating more plants, like just eat more plants and cut out some of these, you know, cut out these big ticket animal products and then see the difference. And what I find that happens to people is that they're so happy with how they change that and how good they feel that the change, more change happens over time. But if I focus on just telling people, just eat more plants, just eat more plants and cut out some of those key negatives Just uh, see the difference. And that's what I try to focus on because I really just want to focus on, while I am a whole food plant-based and I believe in animal, uh, animal rights and all of this, I don't think that necessarily that's everybody's goal. And so if everybody's goal though, everybody wants to feel good and, and heal their bodies. And so if you focus on that aspect, well, the way to do that is just eat more plants, eat more plants, cut out red meat, cut out dairy, cut out um, those refined and processed foods and start there. It's a great place to start. Easy, right? Right. It's easy, but, but you know, uh, people that are ethical vegans get upset with me for not being a fan of vegan processed food. And I don't think they realize maybe it's not quite as deleterious as red meat and dairy, but it's not health promoting either. Well, that's exactly right. And I have, I also have gotten uh, in, in trouble with, um, the, this group that you describe as well, you know, it all depends again on your mission. If your mission is for the animals, then, you know, eating anything that doesn't have an animal product is your goal. And that that's your decision. But if you are focused on health, which is what I am focused on, then these, a lot of these plant-based uh, vegan foods are unhealthy. I mean, people love the impossible burger and the beyond burger, and I'm not a fan. And I, have written about it. We've published on this area um, because the Impossible Burger has almost as much fat as a steak, you know. And so we just, you know, Dean uh, Ornish is working with Beyond Burger, I think, or I can't remember who, which one he's working with actually. But he's, you know, people are working, doctors are working with some of these companies to kind of reduce the amount of fat in those burgers, which should improve them over time. But right now, uh, they're not things that we can. I, I think as a physician, I can advocate. Now, with that in mind, are they a good stepping stone? Sure, they're, they're a good stepping stone to learning different flavors and textures. But the problem I find is they've tried to make that meat so much like meat that I'm not sure that we're learning. It's not as much maybe as of a transition as I think uh, there should be. 
Right. Uh, you know, people say, well, I make it on my diet so restrictive. I make it so hard for people to eat, eat vegan, but fruits, vegetables, whole grains, and legumes, nuts, seeds, avocado, there's, there's 18,000 different kinds of legumes. How is it, you know, restrictive? Because I, I don't care how hard it is for, I'm trying to make it easy for people to be healthy. And, right. and I just find that, you know, uh, eating processed food, vegan or not, catches up with you. That was my story. That's how I got precancerous uh, polyps in my colon. I was vegan for 26 years, junk food vegan. It didn't serve me at all. Yeah, so I think that's really important, important thing you said. I often tell people that, you know, that, you know, saturated fat is bad, but those refined carbohydrates and instant processed foods are arguably worse. And so you just need to um, focus. Yes, it's it's white breads and, um, you know, <laughs> instant foods uh, may be vegan, but they are certainly not healthy. Uh, and again, our goal is to eat as many plants as we can and try to learn that, you know, people describe that there's a texture issue with foods and they don't like beans because of the texture. So I, that's why I like some of your recipes and unprocessed, which are so fabulous because you really work with texture. And I try to tell people, um, you know, if you don't like uh, the texture of beans, try pureed beans or blend the beans or um, use, uh, eat hummuses and people, Oh, I hate the taste of hummus. Okay. We'll try seven different hummuses and put them on your table. And every day, try one bite of one of them and try to learn because everything's about taste buds, isn't it? And every taste buds change every seven years, actually. Um, and it just takes time to sort of change and adapt is the same reason that I eat Indian food. Like it's not like it's water because I grew up eating that way. Cause my taste buds are made to eat those kind of foods, but uh, but I didn't like Thai food when I first had it. Um, but then over time, as my taste buds change, now Thai food is my number one love is Thai food. So everybody's body can change. Everybody can change. Uh, it just takes the time and the diligence to want to make those changes. And it's all about what you're willing to do. For me, I never want to be sick again. I never want to feel sick. I'm willing to do whatever it takes to not be sick. And you just have to decide uh, if that's worth it to you. Absolutely. I think processed food is addictive, whether it's vegan or not. So that's, I think, why people struggle with the fact that they can't stop eating it or can't cut back. Yeah. So then in those situations, when people are eating those processed foods, I often tell people, we'll start out with simple things like, okay, well, you know, if you eat processed foods typically for lunch and dinner, why don't you start by having that big agarwal salad for lunch and then just have whatever you like to eat for dinner and just start there you know, oatmeal for breakfast, maybe that big salad for lunch, and then that dinner, whatever you're used to eating. And then just do that for two or three weeks. And then what I have found over and over again, is that people start feeling uncomfortable when they eat those processed foods, which is exactly what I want. <laughs> and so they end up feeling like they start themselves going to those sort of wholesome foods. Like when I had my colonoscopy last week, you know, I keep talking about this colonoscopy because I'm so blown away by it. I guess I shouldn't use that. It's probably a pun because I literally felt like I was blown um, out, uh, blown out literally. <laughs> and, but you know, you eat all these, you have to eat all these processed foods. It's fascinating to me because, you know, I ate mac and cheese and pasta with red sauce. And I was thinking to all vegan, but, but all refined and junk food. Um, because remember most pasta has zero fiber. And, um, so I was eating these foods and I remember thinking like, oh my God, this is so terrible. And you just feel yucky eating it. Like you walk, you eat it and then your stomach feels bad and you just don't want to eat those kind of foods. And the best thing that after my husband asked me, what do you, what's your favorite meal that you want to eat after your colonoscopy? And I was like, well, that's easy. 
I want whole grain toast with hummus, tomato, and black pepper. That's what I want. And that's what I had, two slices, and it was divine. Oh, that's fantastic. You know, I just saw a question from a live viewer named Isabel. Oh, I, yeah. have, I have rheumatoid arthritis, celiacs. I happily feel the benefits of plant-based, but what can I use to replace the benefits of bone broth? Are there really benefits of bone broth? Yeah. So, you know, some people think that there's a, there are benefits to bone broth. Uh, you know, I'm not sure that you need bone broth. Um, so it depends. I guess I'd ask that person, why are you taking the bone broth? Um, so there's a lot of people who think that it's high in protein. Some people think that it's anti-inflammatory. Um, I haven't really found that there's a lot of data to support, uh, at least the latter. And so I don't, take any, uh, you know, as a rheumatoid arthritis patient and somebody who advocates and works with rheumatoid patients, uh, I don't recommend uh, any kind of broths that are bone-based. Um, the, I guess I would want to know if they respond, what, what they're using it for. Um, there's so many nourishing ways to get, um, healthy foods in your body without using bone broth. I mean, think about miso, uh, think about tempeh, um, really high protein, high nutritious foods, uh, that natural miso is a natural probiotic. So really good for your gut. Um, so, um, I, I guess I want to hear more about why they felt they needed to take it in terms of benefits. Yeah, that's good. Let's see if there's, you know, I didn't realize you did telemedicine. Talk a little bit about that. How can people see you? Does it matter what state they live in? Yeah. So for, um, yeah, thanks for asking. So, you know, I, we've evolved so much over the last couple of years, you know, um, I'm still on faculty at the university of Florida where I do my research. So I still have a great study going on on plant-based nutrition and its impact in cardiovascular disease. I'm excited about, uh, I also see patients clinically in, um, winter park, Florida. Um, so at the advent hospital systems, I see patients in clinic and that's a standard cardiology practice where I see patients for every 15 to 20 minutes. Um, but because that's really doesn't sort of solve the, the significant void that is in medicine today, which is that nobody's really educating people the way I feel people need to be educated on in terms of nutrition and lifestyle. So I have added a telemedicine component to my practice. So I give, I do telemedicine practice where I see patients for 60 to 70 minutes. Um, they're all at least that visits are all first visits are that long. I just don't feel like we do enough justice with shorter visits, or at least I don't feel like I can. So I do every visits about 60 to 70 minutes long. And we talk about how to eat We get, you know, we talk about recipes. We talk about, you know, I just really get to know the patient. Uh, and it's been a really fun, exciting, um, part of my practice and very fulfilling. I've had patients tell me that after that they develop, they have an anxiety issue. And after talking to me, they just feel better. Like they know that they can get through this. They can, they, they are doing better and they, they know they can overcome. And that's really what I want to give people is hope. And something that was taken away from me as a patient is I want to give people hope. Um, and, um, so I provide that telemedicine practice for that reason. And it's been really gratifying. Uh, right now I can only see patients in Maryland, uh, Florida and California and any international patients. I can see anybody internationally. Um, but I don't, I have still working on a few more licenses. I, I can only see patients where I'm licensed. Um, and so I got to just get, get that next step to get a few more. I've been asked to do South Carolina. I've asked to do Tennessee. Uh, I've been asked to do New York, all of which I am working on and hope to have soon um, to check back on the website for more details over the coming months. That's fantastic. They're asking for clarification. 
Are you saying you had to eat processed vegan junk food right before the colonoscopy or was that your previous diet? There's no way that was her previous diet. That's why she wrote Body on Fire. She eats whole plants. Yeah, yeah, no. So uh, I uh, am a, a whole food. So let's be very clear. I eat a whole food plant-based diet. Uh, I'm a huge advocate of whole food plant-based. Uh, and that's how I eat. That's how I raise my family. That's how I raise my kids. Um, and I'm working on my dogs, actually. So, um, so what, before your colonoscopy, um, you can eat no fiber. So for the week before your colonoscopy, you have to eat a low fiber, low residue diet. Um, which is very, and I, you know, I've reflected and you might see it on my social media, um, where I talk about this terrible diet paper they give you before your colonoscopy that basically says, here are your choices, which is like fruit, fruit juices, uh, pasta, um, red meat, dairy, uh, and any sweet you want. (laughs) You're like, wait, what? So like any of the foods that I eat, no. Um, so for the week before your colonoscopy, and I outlined exactly what I ate in my social media, and I've been asked to put it on my website, which I will, um, which is, I wrote down exactly what I ate for the four days prior and I had a hundred percent clean prep. So I know it was effective, but yes, you had to eat, uh, in order to eat those low, to get low fiber, you end up eating some processed foods. So I ate, um, macaroni, I ate, uh, red pasta and red sauce. I ate potatoes without the skin. Uh, I ate a lot of cantaloupe uh, because that's one of the one fruits that you're allowed to eat uh, is cantaloupe. That's so interesting. Wow. I bet you were happy when it was over. You could eat what you loved. Oh God. That's where I went back. I think I, I literally think I ate toast and hummus and oatmeal uh, all on the first day. I was like, I just want oatmeal. So oatmeal and chia seeds. Uh, one of my favorite breakfasts is toast. Everybody knows I like toast, hummus, tomato, and black pepper. That's a go-to for me. Um, um, on a hundred percent whole grain bread with, um, with no sugar, no oil. And, um, just so we're clear, cause people eat a lot of whole grain bread. That's not sort of healthy. Um, and then the other big choice I love to have is I love to have whole rolled oats, um, extra thick with red mill, the red mill brand, um, with some almond milk and chia seeds and blueberries. That's my other sort of go-to favorite breakfast. Nice. What is the Four Roots Farm that you're the chief medical officer of? Yeah, thanks for bringing that up. So one of the things that I, you know, life is funny, right? You, um, you think you know how the road is going to look um, until you start walking on it and, and you start walking on it and the road curves in places that are unexpected. So I've moved to Orlando, Florida, or Winter Park, Florida area. And in this area, um, I we left, we moved for my husband, my husband's job for the first time, five times he moved for me in 20 years and it was my turn to move. So we moved here and I wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And I, by happenstance, I was connected to a, a person that ended up becoming, uh, my good friend and my boss of sorts. Um, and he runs a nonprofit called, uh, John rivers. He runs a nonprofit called the four roots farm. And I am now the chief medical officer there. So what we do together is we're growing, um, we're learning about so many things, but the concept is, is that the law, we've, we've lost food. So what people don't know is that most of the, the soil in the, um, or the dirt in America is no longer soil. So it doesn't have that natural microbiota or the gut flora. I mean, the gut, the bugs rather in it, that it should, that's natural and healthy and that it's just dirt. It has almost no nutritional value. Um, and so remember that the soil is super important because 
healthy soil makes healthy plants, which makes healthy food, which makes healthy humans. Um, and so we just have lost a lot of soil quality. And what other people don't also people don't know is that almost 50% of the food that we eat, including all of our fruits and vegetables is imported, um, that we don't make it in the United States. And part of the problem is, is that there's so much food, food being made, but it's hard to get it to consumers. That's one issue. The other issue is that there's so few far, there's fewer and fewer farmers because it's easier. Sadly, we don't support our farmers enough and our farmers, it's easier to sell to a developer than to be a farmer these days because it's, there, there's so little income in farming and there's so much, um, so many difficulties in the farming world right now. And, um, food quality, I mean, in terms of soil quality, stressors, bugs. Um, and so at Four Roots, what we're trying to do is we're trying to do multiple things, but we're trying to educate, um, we're trying to educate the community about what healthy food is. Um, we're trying to help farmers and help their foods, help them promote healthy foods, and then also how those healthy food, bring those healthy foods to consumers. We're also working on how to improve food quality, which is where I come in as a scientist, uh, to how to improve quality. Like, how do you make phytonutrient composition better? How do you make that quality of food better? Is it through the way the seed is made? Is it through the soil? Is it through the stressors? Is it through the water? Is it through all of those things? And then as you improve food quality, does that do a darn bit of difference to the patient or to the person who's eating it? If you improve the lycopene composition of the food, does it actually improve the patient or do we just think it improves the patient? And so all of that scientific research in that spectrum from how food is made to how it becomes and improves the patient is the space that we're working in on the Four Roots Farm. Take a look. It's a really cool farm and uh, cool work we're doing uh, on it in Orlando, Florida. Nice. What does it mean to be a next generation innovator? <laughs> yeah, you know, I think that's a funny name, you know, so, um, you know, some, some of the cardiology groups here have named me a next generation innovator, which made me laugh because like, what exactly is that? You know, it just, the idea is that, you know, I'm, I'm one of the newer generation of cardiologists that are focused on uh, innovation. So focused on sort of in my area of innovation is in food quality, food, and how to use food and lifestyle to improve cardiovascular disease. Nice. I saw a question here about bread. Is rye and pumpernickel bread healthy like whole wheat bread? Yeah. So typically most rye and um, pumpernickels are going to have a lot of um, more simpler grains in them. And so you want to be eating um, as whole grain as you can get. Uh, I particularly tell people just to focus on food like uh, sprouted grain bread, like Ezekiel bread uh, is a great choice. It's probably the one of the most ones that you can get nationally, but even better than an Ezekiel bread, I think, is if you can get something from a local bakery. So something very local that's fresh uh, that they've made that has no sugar. You just have to watch because they'll put sugar and they'll put molasses and you got to watch Whole Foods because I know we all love Whole Foods, but Whole Foods has a load of terrible bread, I have to tell you. I'm sorry to say it, but most of the bread that you get at Whole Foods has oil and sugar in it. Um, but remember that most grocery stores, in order to keep the food on the shelf uh, and for it to last and to be made in a different location than brought to your grocery store and to sit on the shelf for several days or a week before it molds, it needs to have some sort of preservatives and processing in it. Um, and so the best thing to do is go to a bakery, a local bakery that makes uh, uses no oil, no sugar, um, and no molasses, um, and get your breads there. Yeah, we, we actually, I, I did a book signing on Saturday 
in our local Barnes and Nobles in Palm Desert. And a gentleman came up to me and gave me these two loaves of artisan bread. He's vegan. Ah. His bakery is vegan. And it's like, my husband said it was amazing. It was a sourdough bread, but it was just, it was like whole grain. And it's, you, you could just see it looked healthy compared to yeah. fluffy that's bread. Well, that's the key is like, you know, you can get so many, you can get sourdough starters and you can put those into, you can use whole wheat and a sourdough starter. You get this most incredible bread. And you know, it was a big COVID trend as a lot of people became bread makers. Uh, and unfortunately, as COVID's gone away, well, I mean, good that COVID's gone away, but the, the bread trend has gone kind of going down again because people are getting busy again. Um, but people making their own bread, own bread at home, that's amazing. Uh, totally recommend it. My husband has named all of our starters. We have a Squiggy, we have a Shirley, you know, there was a Lenny. <laughs> Um, we have all sorts of, uh, bread starters when they die, they, then a new generation is born and we get Squiggy or Shirley or some other cartoon character. That is very cool. Uh, question. Do you soak your oats? How do I soak them? Do you soak so, your oats? Um, so different, different times. Like you could, if I eat hot oats, um, I don't soak them. I just cook them. Um, or if I do steel cut oats, I just cook them slowly or use a pressure cooker. Um, if I do like an overnight oat, I soak them in, um, almond milk. I use almond milk. Um, and I put, I, I'm a very simple person. So my overnight oats compose of three things, uh, almond milk, whole rolled oats and chia seeds. And then the fruits I put on top. Nice. And uh, Julie says Ezekiel bread is not gluten-free. Do you have any suggestions for people that need to eat gluten-free bread? Yeah, it's always a little trickier. Um, so gluten-free is tricky because when you have to remove gluten from foods, they've added a lot and often have to add a lot of sugar and fat um, to um, make it kind of palatable. Um, so always a little bit trickier. I always suggest you go to your local breadery and ask them because they'll make you um, breads with different, um, with different not of that are not gluten-based um, uh, grains. Um, that you can eat. So that's what I would encourage because I don't have a brand that I would particularly encourage. Would you? I don't know. What I, you know, this guy, Mark, if, if you could, if you can get to Palm Springs, I don't know much about it, but I think you're right. I mean, fresh is always going to be better no matter what the product is. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of fresh, I think you're going to make a recipe from this book. I'm curious, are there some fa family favorites in this book that you might want to recommend? So, I mean, the stir fried udon noodles is always a hit. Uh, any kind of hummus in my house is always eaten very quickly. Um, let's see. And then all of the Indian dishes. So, you know, we eat a lot of Indian food in our house. So there's the alu gobi, which is potatoes and cauliflower. There's a lentil dish in there, a dal dish, which all of those are always hits in my house. Um, but even like the pancakes, um, the veggie pancakes with zucchini are also a big um, hit in our house, um, which is something that we all love. You know what recipe I have here, Mark, that sounds delicious because I've never tried anything like this. You have a recipe for a curry coleslaw and that sounds so good. Yes. Um, also something that you would really like is put it into so many things. And I'm a huge, I, I really like to eat uh, salads and I throw a lot of like coleslaw and flavored coleslaws and kimchi into my food. Um, and so that would be a sort of a really nice thing to add to a salad. So highly recommend. Mm. There's a question, if you toast your seeds and keep them in a grinder so they're digested rather than just passing through the body. Yeah, so I keep my seeds in the fridge, uh, the refrigerator, and before when I'm not, when the bag is open. And then when I'm about to use them, I take them and put them in a coffee grinder and I grind just that days. I don't 
pre-grind um, because they do deteriorate over time. And so I just grind them the morning up, throw them into whatever I'm eating um, and then use them. Now, flax seeds in general have to be ground. A lot of people think that chia seeds don't have to be ground. I'm not 100% sure about that or if we know. It seems to me like if you grind them, um, you're going to improve the absorption. So in general, I grind them. The only time I don't grind my chia seeds is if I soak them with the oats um, because they plump up. Um, and I think that at that time you do, or you are able to absorb and break them down. Mm, yeah. Their chia seeds are so, if you grind them, do they still do that thickening thing? No. So if you're doing like a chia egg or something like that, I wouldn't grind them. I certainly, if you're going to use something to plump them up, you don't need to grind them. But if I put them in a shake or if I put them in hot oatmeal, I will grind them um, before I use them. Makes sense. So Caesar is a very popular salad dressing, but in the real world, it's full of oil and cheese and salt and anchovies. Yeah. yeah. Who wants to eat that nasty stuff? So we have a very simple uh, vegan Caesar dressing. So I'm not very good at this. So let me see if I can, I'm going to turn the screen first and show you in the cookbook. So here's my kitchen. So we're just going to make this really simple vegan Caesar dressing um, here. And the way we make it is we use tofu. Um, and so I'm going to put you on, let me flip you back here. And so now we're in my kitchen. Um, there we go. Uh, so I'm going to put everything. How are we visually? Is that okay? Looks, I see your counter, your little nice block. Okay, great. So I have my plants only block that Jane, uh, Brian Hart made, Jane Esseson's husband. I have, uh, and so very simple because again, I told you I'm really simple. Uh, I put, all we're going to do is we're going to put these bad boys in a blender and we're going to make, um, uh, a dressing. So what you do is, uh, you take your tofu. And so I usually get like a, um, for this use, the time, only time I ever really use a silken tofu. So I find that desserts um, and dressings, I use a silken or a softened tofu rather, or a really soft one versus a, I usually like firm tofu, um, but this is the only time. So I, this is from Publix, which is our local grocery store. Um, and you need about a half a cup of the softened tofu. So I already pre, so I did a mise en place. I'm taking culinary classes. So I have learned what a mise en place is, which is when you pre put out you pre-put out all of your, um, you know, that's the secret, Dr. Agarwal. I'm sure like when you were in medical school and you did surgery, all your tools, you, you didn't like go running here for the scalpel and running here for the sponge. They do mise en in surgery. I mean, you know, it's, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. And it's not something I've ever done for cooking. Again, I grew up in this Indian house and we just put kind of go like this all the, and then kind of taste. But this culinary classes have changed my life because now uh, my husband's always like, are you mise en blossing? Yes, I'm mise en blossing. So I do that a lot now, which has really helped and again, I agree with you. It makes everything efficient. So I have here my uh, half a cup of tofu. So that's a softened tofu. I'm just going to throw that into my blender. So I've got my Vitamix sitting next to me here. Um, and then um, you need um, some apple cider vinegar. So I have two teaspoons of apple cider vinegar here. So that's right here in my little mise en place dish. So I'm gonna throw that in again, very simple kind of gal. Um, and then lemon, um, and you wanna put in one tablespoon of lemon juice. So there's my lemon juice. You know, you ideally would use a fresh lemon and you would do it, but if you don't have time, and today I didn't have as much time, so I just bought um, a little bit of lemon juice. So I have my lemon juice. Um, the only ingredient is lemon, so you put that in. Um, and then you put in some white miso. So 
white miso. I'm a huge fan of miso um, because miso is um, a probiotic. And so I use a lot of miso. I drink, eat a lot of miso soup, uh, miso paste. You, it has so much flavor to me. I really love it. So I put the white miso here into my little, my little uh, measuring spoon. I'm going to put that in. So by the way, these are my favorite measuring spoons for obvious reasons. You can see my heart. I don't know if you can see them. They're so beautiful. I love them. That was like a Williams and Sonoma. You know, we just got a question and I know the answer to it because we actually talked about this before we logged on yeah. live. I'm yeah. going to order her cookbook, but I would like to know if most of the recipes are on the simple side. Yeah. So for me, um, they are simple. Um, I'm all about simplicity. So if I have to get 50 ingredients from the grocery store or I have to go to a unique grocery store to get them, I, I can't do it. Like I get overwhelmed. No. So if you're a gourmet cook and you really want sort of really advanced um, recipes, this may not be the best choice for you, if I'm being super honest, because it's going to be, it's going to have very good staples and really neat recipes, like a lot of Indian food, you're going to have noodles, you're going to, but it's going to be for somebody who maybe wants to make a meal for their family on a regular basis and doesn't want to get stuck with the top five things that they always make, because you can make all of the meals in 20 to 30 minutes or less, usually um, a lot of easy sort of techniques like, um, and so I think um, that's sort of the recipe that we're looking for. So, uh, or at least that I was looking for. Um, one tablespoon of Dijon mustard. Again, here's my mustard. Fan of mustards because they add that nice bite. In general, put a lot of mustard recipes. Um, then I have some garlic powder. I should put some garlic powder. Um, and we put two teaspoons of garlic powder in there. Uh, and then I just have a teaspoon, uh, a quarter teaspoon of sea salt and um, a half a teaspoon of black pepper. And there's my mise en place. I've already pre-done it because I wanted to be organized for you because I'm not, you know, I had to go away from my Indian roots and be organized. <laughs> not to say Indians aren't organized. It's just that maybe I grew up in this unorganized space. Okay, so, so just to review, it's soft tofu. Um, lemon juice, white miso, Dijon mustard, garlic powder, apple cider vinegar, black pepper, and sea salt. That's all in there. Uh, all I got to do is cover my Vitamix because uh, we got to do that. And then I've got my Vitamix sitting next to me here. Let's see if I cannot block it. Um, let's see if I can put that down here. I bet people are much savvier than I am. And then I just push this. Uh, it'd be nice if I plugged it in. Being Indian, did you ever use before the Instant Pot the stovetop pressure cooker? Oh, she probably didn't hear me. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, no, that's okay. I shouldn't have asked it right when the blender was going. I was saying, being Indian, did you ever use a stovetop pressure cooker before hearing about the Instant Pot electric pressure cooker? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I have such funny stories about the, oh, the stovetop pressure cooker. I always thought I was going to die because that thing sits on your stove and it goes, if you've ever seen one of those, we had this old style Indian one where this little thing sits there and it keeps popping. And my mom would always say, don't go too close. Don't do this because she was always worried that thing was going to explode and pop off of me. So yes, that's what we used to use before we got the Instapot um, 
And um, thank God for the Instapot. It's really changed my life. So um, super easy, right? We just blended it together until it was smooth. And check this out. So it's really just a nice flavor. I mean, a nice look and texture. And it tastes like Caesar dressing. It really does. And the reason it does is because we've added that Dijon mustard to it. Um, and that's, and that tofu really makes it soft. So I already have a salad that I pre-prepared. I don't have all my ingredients in it, but I've got tomatoes and spinach in it. And um, this is going to be too much dressing for this salad. So I'm just going to put it in here. Uh, just a few tablespoons. And, and how long, how long will that keep in the refrigerator? Uh, that'll last at least a week. Um, so I usually will put it in for a week. Um, and, but I'll, it'll be done before that because I eat salad. Yeah, I told you the Agarwal salad is part of every single day in the Agarwal household. Um, somebody told me I needed to create an app called WWAD. Uh, what would Agarwal do? <laughs> that's great. <laughs> and that's so funny. We need one that says WWAJ. What would AJ do? <laughs> AJ would, <laughs> I know what AJ would do. Jackson <laughs> wants to know if you personally add any oil or fat to your diet. Um, yeah. So do I actively try to add oil and fat for my health? No. Do I eat um, some fatty foods? Like I don't eat oil for my health. Um, you know, whether there's some role for some oils is, is still in debate. Um, that's why I would love to tell, give you the data for my study, which is an olive oil based study. So I put people uh, on our 100% plant-based diet that are on our standard diet. And then I've actually put them on a high olive oil arm for four weeks and then a low olive oil arm for four weeks. Um, and I'm going to compare the difference in their clinical markers, um, their, uh, their blood, you know, their blood pressures, their lipids, so their cholesterol, and also their stool. And I'm going to compare themselves. So they are their own control, high olive oil versus low. So I'm super excited about it to see if there's any benefit to olive oil, right? Because Anybody who's plant-based has heard, well, what about the Mediterranean diet, right? Well, so the Mediterranean diet is good, but remember the studies show that the most pro-vegetarian of the Mediterranean diet are the people who actually do the best. Um, and so the pro-vegetarian, so the most vegetarian Mediterranean diet people do the best. So if you think about that, then you think, well, and you look at all the studies, the studies show and asked, is a Western, they put people that were on a Western diet and they transition them to a Mediterranean diet, right? Mediterranean plus olive oil or Mediterranean diet plus extra nuts. And what they were able to show was that, yes, you do better. Well, okay. But does that mean it's as good as a plant-based diet or not? And the answer is, we don't know. I mean, we have a sense that the more vegetarian pattern is better but is the oil itself what's good? Because people pour oil onto their food, olive oil in particular, because it's good for their health. And I don't think we know the answer to that. So I actually worked with the group that does the, did the main olive oil studies, the Mediterranean studies to create my study. And so when I did it, I asked them to help me design it to make sure I had done a good job. And so I'm really excited to see the results of my study. Um, so hopefully by the end of May. So well, please come back and let us know because it's such a hot topic in the plant-based community. Whether oh, yeah. it's healthy or not, what I don't understand, Dr. Agarwal, is if there's something healthy in olive oil, wouldn't it be in the olive? So why not just eat the olive? That's exactly right. So I think that olives are good for you in the sense that they have polyphenols, right? And so if you eat polyphenols, then you're going to do, um, then you are, if you eat things that are high in polyphenols, there's going to be benefit. 
but is it in this concentrated form of oil where you're getting so much of just concentrated fat? Is that outweighing the polyphenol or not? And that, that we just don't know. Um, and anybody who tells you that we know for sure is wrong because we don't, we have a suggestion that less oil is better um, because there's a lot of animal studies that show that oils actually all cause plaque. So there's a lot of data to show that. So my suspicion is that my study is gonna show that the low olive oil group does better. But I will tell you that the people from the Mediterranean study said they're gonna show no difference, of course. But that's the beauty of science. You gotta do the study and figure it out. And Maybe you could study some of my people that do the no oil and have for many years and seem to have healthy skin and hair and nails and healthy weight. Well, they do, but the key is not to look at them in isolation, but is to compare them um, to, at different points to themselves or uh, and to compare them to other people. And that's the true way to do the best study. Um, so when you ask that question about, do I add oil for my health? I don't. Um, but do I have some oil in my food? Yeah. So um, if I, I like to eat avocados, so avocados have saturated fat in them and unsaturated fats. And so um, I do eat avocado, but you have some people can't eat avocado. And so I have some advanced heart disease patients with really high lipids that I can't let them eat avocado right now because their LDL is too high. So not everybody can eat those saturated fats, even if they come from plant-based sources, because saturated fat is not an optimal food choice. Um, so, um, but I like avocado and I'm able to eat them. And there's some data on increasing HDL, which is good. So I do eat avocado, but not right. And not every day or just a couple once in a while. And I like it to massage into my kale. Um, cause you remember the fats from the avocado help soften the, um, kale. Um, and then I, um, so when I do, um, an Indian chonk, which is when you um, do a saute of the onions, sometimes I'll add a tablespoon of oil. Um, but I often will do it without, uh, I will do a dry, dry saute as well. So it depends on sort of if my kids are around because they insist that there is a difference, although I can't tell. TS is asking for your consults. Is it only with cardiac patients? No, um, if, if you have a nutrition and lifestyle, um, if you want an intensive nutrition and lifestyle evaluation, I do a lot of those. Um, my specialty is cardiology, but a lot of people come to me for a nutrition and lifestyle based consult, and I'm happy to do that uh, as well. So there's the dressing. Can you see it? It's really nice. Looks so it makes a lot of dressing. You know, I, I think that's a lot of dressing. And so um, that'll last me at least three or four days. Uh, and again, I didn't add any oil to it. It was just tofu, lemon juice, miso, garlic powder, vinegar, um, and a little salt and pepper. And it, it's so creamy. I mean, it's just so gorgeous. No oil needed. I mean, I, I love it. I mean, you, need, you need oil a lot less than you think. A lot of patients tell me, well, the oil makes the taste. Does it? Though? No, it doesn't. It blocks the taste because it coats. Uh, that, that is exactly opposite is true. Exactly right. And so oil doesn't add to the taste. So I think what people are missing and the reason they think they need oils because it makes it softer and it makes the food softer, which is true. Um, but you can get that softness from a thousand things. Like I use hummus and balsamic vinegar very often as a, as a dressing, um, or you can use the Caesar dressing that we just made, um, which is a very healthy, high uh, nutritious uh, dressing that you can use. And, and just look at the way the salad looks and it's hard on zoom maybe to appreciate it, but the salad, let's see if I can change my little thingy thing. There, let me see, look at, sort of look at that. I mean, it really is just a gorgeous, I don't know. I mean, I could eat those greens plain, but, but I really like the way the dressing looks. And I don't know if you can see it as well, but 
Um, I have still yet to put in there some chickpeas, which are going to go in there because I love garbanzo beans. I'm going to put some red onions in that salad. Um, and I'll probably, I might just leave it at that for today, something a little simpler. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I just like, you know, I know it was a simple recipe. I could have made something fancier, but I don't know on Zoom, frankly, I think sometimes simpler is easier. And I really like the idea of making plant-based nutrition easy. And I, I want people to see that, yes, it is easy to go to McDonald's or to stop in at Panera Bread and pick up a quick sandwich. That is true. But I made this dressing and put this salad together in literally 15 minutes. And so that was getting it out of the fridge, opening the bag, putting together my little mise en place, using the blender. It was a 15 minute process and it would take you longer to go out to Panera and wait for your food. Um, so sometimes people forget that easy can be easy at home too. And that, you know, it's okay to like to honor the process. And that's something I said to somebody yesterday and they laughed and they said, gosh, you know, I don't do that enough. And I think that that's true. We as humans or as Americans or 2022 generation or whatever you want to call it, is we don't honor the process enough. There's something about the cooking, the process of putting together your meat, your pieces, your mise en place, mixing all the foods, making this. Like I know the story behind how this dressing was made. And then I put it into my salad and boy, am I going to enjoy this salad because I was part of the process of making all the parts of it. And there's some, there's a beauty to that. And I'm, I'm busy. I know you guys are busy. I know everyone's busy out there, um, but you'll be surprised. Uh, I will have saved time by making this meal and not lost time um, by making it because it's super quick. Uh, and, you know, some basic ingredients, vinegar, tofu, lemon juice, half the stuff I have in my house all the time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Susanna says Body on Fire is an excellent book. I've listened to it on Audible. So I provided the link for both the cookbook and for the regular and for the, you know, for the original book and then the cookbook. Hey, if you had put recipes in the first book, you wouldn't have had to write the second book. I know. Well, that was my fault, actually, because I, I'm such a, I'm such a nerd, you know, and I was like, no, I just want it to be about the science. And um, it was my mistake because I thought that it would confuse, like it would become too long and overwhelming. And I really just wanted it to be about the science. And, but you're right. The feedback exactly was, is, but when I need recipes. Right. Um, Cause you can't eat the science. You can't eat the science. So I learned, uh, you know, again, it's a, it's a process of learning and uh, for all of us. And I definitely learned from that. I was like, oh, okay, I guess I should have done the recipes. Whoops. Um, but it gave me a chance to add in that little how-to manual of like how to eat day to day, which I was really happy to do, um, to really put in that in the grocery list. And I wanted grocery lists and I wanted sort of people to be able to look through and look at the list and say, okay, I need to increase my iron because I'm anemic. I have heavy menses and I'm anemic all the time. Well, what do I do to increase my iron or, oh, I have palpitations and I've been told I need to eat more magnesium. Well, what are the foods that have more potassium and magnesium? Uh, and then you can reach out to that list and to incorporate those into your diet because I have patients that come into me all the time with palpitations and I say, well, you need to eat potassium and magnesium rich foods. And then they ask me, well, what are those foods? And I'm like, oh, I'm glad you asked because now I have the list. So it's um, all those lists are in the book and I'm proud of that. You know, I think, I, again, I, I, I've often, you know, you, we are our worst critic. And if you look and you could say, well, could I have made more complex recipes? Yes, I could have. Could I have made... Um, you know, more unique tastes. Yeah, I could have, but I will tell you, I wouldn't have enjoyed it. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't make any of the recipes <laughs> because if it's too hard and too complicated for me, then I won't do it. 
And I guess maybe I think that um, people are more like me than the other way. And maybe I'm wrong. I think people are more like you. (laughs) I just like it to be a little bit simple. And I want to know that I can walk into my kitchen, drunk, put together a quick thing and done. And everybody's happy. And I can feed three kids and know that I nourish them. And I gave them a good start for the day or the good, good meal for the night. Nice. Uh, Jill says no avocado for heart patients, but what about limited nuts and seeds? Yeah, I, I'm not sure that it's a no for heart disease patients either. And it all depends sort of on the different, everybody's body is different. Um, so some people are able to eat avocado, even heart disease patients, and similar with nuts and seeds. So remember nuts and seeds have some level of, um, some of them have saturated fats in them as well. And so sometimes I have to limit those in some patients, but most patients can eat them, um, especially f- uh, seeds and, and nuts that are high in omega-3 fatty acid. I try to promote and support eating those. And so most of my patients eat them. Remember, I think that people forget that most people are eating this diet and then, you know, you cut them down to a plant-based diet. It's and the nuts are, they, people often need the nourishment that you get from those nuts and seeds. And so often you're able to keep those into a standard plant-based diet, even for patients with heart disease. Um, um, but there are people that have very bad lipids that I, I, you know, I have some genetic components, et cetera, that I have to work really hard on. And those people, I often do have to limit their nuts. So it really is person dependent. Um, and I know not everybody wants, everybody wants sort of a, a perfect diet for everybody, but there maybe isn't, but in general, uh, eating a plant-based diet or eating mostly plants is, is optimal. And that, but there will be some nuance depending on what your LDL is, how bad your heart disease is, if you're diabetic or not. Um, and those things will all play a, a role into some adjustments in the dietary. Great. Thank you so much. This is a wonderful presentation. And it's a wonderful book. I hope people will check it out because the recipes are simple. They're healthy. They're delicious. What more could people want? And if people live in California, Florida, and Maryland right now are the three states that you can do telemedicine in. Yeah. And if there are other states you, and you want to send me a note on through the website and say, Hey, do this web, do this site, um, this state, uh, I do add them up. And if it ends up being a decent number of people, then I will, I will work towards getting that license. So it does, it is important for me to hear from you. Um, and if you are, if you want me to um, move forward with that state, so it is arduous to do, but it's worth it if um, people need it. And I, my life's mission, you know, somebody asked me that this morning, I did another interview right before this. And they asked me like, what is it that I hope to achieve? And it was an interesting question, but one that I reflected on, you know, I'm not on my twenties anymore. I have three kids, you know, I've worked now. I have sort of what, what is it that I want? What I want to do is I want to move forward a mission. I want to make people healthy. I want them to see that there's hope and I want them to see that they have power in their hands to heal their bodies. And there's so much you can do with the way you sleep, the way you think about things, the stress levels, the what you put in your body, there's so much you can do. And so my mission is just that, is to move forward an agenda of healthier people, you know, making people quality, teaching them about how to eat quality, how to live a quality life and not focus on the age or the years or the time as much as um, having that time be important and help, you know, and that, that's what I want to do. And it, I think it's about social connectedness and love and intimacy and, and joy and cutting anxiety and eating well and eating with people and laughing. I mean, there's just so many different parts and so many parts that we've forgotten that I think, um, 
that I want us to get back to. Yeah. Thank you for saying that. Now, do you also see patients in person if they live in the state that you live in? I do. I do. I do different things in that in, in, um, in Florida. So if you live in Florida and you're willing to drive, I do have people come from Naples and Miami, which are three, four hours away, or they come as, from as high as South. I've had people from South Carolina come down. Um, and so if you want to drive down, I'm happy to see you. And I don't have to be licensed in your state. If you come to me, then I can see you. Um, and I have people who've flown in from Brazil and other uh, countries that will come in and see me. So that's very, um, totally fine. If you come to me, um, the difference is, is I just can't spend as much time with you because those visits are standard visits. So I do take insurance in that situation. So if you come to see me in the office, I do see you take insurance, but you, it's a standard cardiology visit. So I can't do like a nutrition and lifestyle intensive visit. And that's why I have that telemedicine practice. Um, but I do another thing, um, which I do offer, which is these immersions where I have people who come in and, um, I'll go into your, help you in your house. I'll help you with your groceries. I'll help you clean out your cabinets. Um, so we try to do different options for people to kind of get them, uh, to, to give people different options. Nice. Here's one question I just saw from Susanna. We can't get my husband's triglycerides down. LDL is coming down slowly. Weight is 10 pounds from target BMI. Will less fruit help? Maybe. Um, some people are genetically predisposed to high triglycerides. Um, some people, there's an underlying cause, like their medication can cause their triglycerides to go up. Their blood sugars could be too high, which make their triglycerides go up. Their thyroid could be a problem, which should make your triglycerides go up. Um, but if all those things are all normal and have been checked and okay, um, then typically, yes, it's just sort of figuring out that you're probably eating just too many carbohydrates and too many of those refined ones. And so remember, everything's about input and output. If you're putting, if your input is too much, then your output, um, then that sugar has to go somewhere, even if it is a complex sugar. Um, and that sugar then will eventually become a triglyceride. Um, so it's just something to think about. And so, um, usually as the, as that weight comes down and that input decreases and that output increases, those numbers will improve. Great. Thank you. And there is a question from Krisha. Do you accept insurance? I, so, yeah, so I, I do accept insurance, but only in my general cardiology practice, which is in the, in town in winter park slash Orlando, Florida. So if you come to me, I do take insurance. Those are 15 to 20 minute visits. My telemedicine visits are not insurance based because, you know, you know, it's funny, it, it, you can't, you can't live, uh, you can't have a practice um, and give, offer people one hour long visits with an insurance based practice, sadly, it's, it's sad. And that's a problem with the American medical system and the way payers are but you can't, um, you just can't do it. And so, you know, we always badmouth doctors, doctors don't spend enough time, doctors don't, but they don't have almost a choice because we are incentivized to see patients every 15 minutes. So in order to do that, I have, in order to really practice the way I wanted, I had to step out of that. Um, and so in order to provide people with these longer 60 to 70 minute visits, I had to go with a non-insurance based model. So I don't take insurance with my telemedicine practice and I'm okay. With, I mean, there's always a little bit of guilt and you think, well, gosh, you know, I'm, I'm missing people because I, I'm not taking insurance, but it's impossible to do. Uh, it's just impossible because you can't live your life and have your um, have your family and um, take care of your kids and do all the things that you want to do if you take insurance and then also have 70 minute visits, you just can't do it. And so, 
Uh, I've just chosen to do it so that I can spend that quality time with my patients. Uh, it's funny, we, you know, we're willing to pay for our doctor, our dentist, and we're willing to pay for our vets, but we do have a problem, including myself. And I'm not saying that we don't like to pay for our doctors <laughs> and I get it. Uh, I also don't like to pay for my doctor, but it's been a change of mentality to remind myself that what I really want is quality medicine. Wow. Well, thank you. And I, I bet you deliver it. I can just tell you must be an amazing doctor. Well, thank you so much for writing this book for the original book and for your culinary presentation and your beautiful mise en place. <laughs> My mise en place. <laughs> yeah. uh, Joan says, how much is an hour long visit? Do you mean it's, it's an hour. I mean, oh, she's asking the price, I think. Is, are you able to say that? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, so if you look on the website, it's drmonicaagarwell.com and you go to schedule appointment and book now, you'll see the sort of different options, but uh, briefly uh, a 60 to 70 minute visits, $500. Um, and, but there are different iterations um, and depending on whether you're looking for more of that immersion experience. Um, if you live in town, you can get sort of an immersion experience. Uh, different options are available for people depending on what they want to do. Great. Well, I would do it. I think it's so important if you're personally vegan or plant-based to have a vegan and or lifestyle medicine doctor on your team, especially yeah. if you have some condition. I think it, everybody's got to do what they feel comfortable with. And I, 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 I get it. I, I get, I get the angst of money. And so I get it. Um, not everybody has the means. And like I said, it's been a personal journey for me as well to even charge. Um, but um uh, unfortunately, in order to make my family work, there had to be some way to receive compensation for that amount at that time. Um, and that's sort of the way it's become, I think. But I hope in the future, uh, maybe 10, 10 years from now, there'll be a focus on value-based care uh, rather than acuity-based care, which is what we have now. We have an acuity-based care model. It's about seeing patients and getting people in. And the sicker you are, the more money we make as doctors and as hospitals but I refuse to do that. I, I wanna focus on value-based care, which is taking care of patients, making them better, uh, not sicker and not, you know, it hurt me really when one of my partners um, who, uh, one of my friends in the industry was called into the office of their supervisor and they said, what's happening? Like, uh, and this has happened to me before too, where people are like, what's happening? All your, you know, like you're, you're seeing fewer patients or you're not sending as many procedures. Uh, well, they're not, we're not sending as many procedures because people are getting better. Uh, you should, this is something you should be proud of, not something that we should be called into the office for to be told, you know, we're not delivering enough procedures. Our patients are getting better. You know, they're quality patients that are healing and they don't need to see us as often because they're better. I mean, how great is that? If that goes on my gravestone, uh, I'll be okay with that. Well, you know what they say, if you don't, if you know, if you don't have the money for your health, you're going to need a lot more for your illness. That's for sure. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. That's the way it is. Well, thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And hey, I'd love to have you back when you, if, just to talk about the research. I didn't know you were yeah. doing research. That would be really fascinating. Yeah, so probably um, it's April, probably by the end of May, it'll be completed another month for data collection. So hopefully by uh, August or September, we should have data to publish. So that's very exciting. Yeah, I would love, to, I, I think people would love to hear the results of that. Yeah, happy, happy to be back. Great. Thank you so much. And, and good luck with the book. I hope everyone will buy it. I've been posting links and it's buy it. What do you got to lose other than making delicious, delicious, nutritious, easy recipes that will help you quell your inflammation? I love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was right. a pleasure.
Thank you, Dr. Agawal. And thanks to all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back in about 90 minutes at 11 a.m. when my guest is PCRM cooking instructor, Melissa Sherlock. We have another fabulous culinary demo. She will be making potato burritos with cilantro rice and a maple salted fudge. 